My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we are really, really glad that you're here, and we are just honored and excited that you would choose to spend um, Sunday morning with us. And so um, we really do um, um, take that seriously, and um, we, yeah, we're honored that you're here. Uh, let me go ahead and pray, and then we will jump into the text. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for these people in this room, and I thank you for your word that we're about to uh, look into. I pray that we would um, kind of put ourselves under the authority of your word this morning and that b- believing that it is inspired by you, it is your revelation to us. And so that that should bring some, some, um, some sobriety to what we're about to do, but also excitement in knowing that we get to, 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 hear, the, to hear your words, to hear the words of the living God, to instruct us and to teach us um, who we are in you, what you have done, um, especially in your son, Jesus. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, we're um, in the middle of a three-week series where we're um, walking through our vision and mission and some of the things that we want to be about as a church. We thought beginning of the year, this would be a good time to do that. Last week, Blake preached on um, some big picture vision and mission of the church, kind of the 30,000-foot view. And uh, you'll see the, um, I'll go ahead and put the, have the vision and mission statements up here so you can see this. The vision of our church is we exist to glorify God by leading people to find freedom and joy in Jesus. And our mission, so that's our end. How we want to accomplish that is by living as disciples that make disciples. We seek gospel saturation through declaring and demonstrating the gospel in all of life. And so, and seeing the vision and the mission there, it should, if, if the goal of the church is to make and multiply disciples, and we feel like that's, that's the, what the, 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 the Bible lays out as the church's purpose in the scriptures, for disciples to be formed, to grow, and then to make more disciples. The next thing we should answer, and it begs the question, well, what is a disciple? What does that look like? How, how are we to live this out day by day? How do I know if I'm being a good disciple or not? And, and all those questions. And so, what we've done, we've tried to look at the scripture from Genesis to Revelation and ask the question, what are the things that a disciple is, is, is to be about? Who, who is a disciple in the scriptures? And we've, re, we've come up with, with what we call identities. Okay, identities. And, and these are our four identities. And we believe from Genesis to Revelation, you see these identities come up over and over and over in the scripture. So you have, as disciples, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, we all are learners, okay? And learner there is actually the, the literal translation of the word disciple in the scripture. So when you see the word disciple, if the, the literal translation of that in the original language is actually a learner, okay? And I think even better for our context, that, that learner tends to, in our, in our context, I think just to kind of go straight to the classroom. Like we sit and kind of just take in information. And it's, it's actually more of like an apprentice. We'll see that here in a minute. More like an apprentice, but um, learner is how we're, um, the, the, the label we're putting on that identity. Next is worshiper. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. And then next week, we're going to cover those first two today. And then next week, we're going to look at family or family member and missionary. Okay? So we're going to look at those first two today. And we think this is important to talk about these things. Again, primarily because of discipleship and being disciples is what this is about. Then we need to be clear, especially those of you who are members who have been around with us for a while, we want to be clear. We want to have the same language. We want to use the same terms. When we do training, when we do equipping, we want to equip to this end. If this is what a disciple 
is to look like, to be about, then we want to simplify things enough where you all kind of know what the scriptures are expecting of you, and we kind of know as leadership how to equip and train and move into those spaces. And for those of you who are new to the faith, or maybe you're uh, not a Christian, and you're coming in here, and you came with a friend or something, I think this is helpful for you, because if you're getting your definition of Christianity, or or faith, or the gospel, or Jesus, or the Bible from somewhere outside of um, the Bible and other churches, then I think you're probably confused because you hear a lot of different things that claim to be Christian or Christianity or church and all of those things. So I think hopefully today this will be good for you because you'll hopefully get to see a peek into what the Bible has to say about the church and what the Bible has to say about a disciple and what is a disciple to do and what is a disciple to be about. So I think this is an important conversation for us. Now, how do we get these identities? Okay, that's, I think, the, biblically the first question. Is, well, how do we get these identities? And why do we call them identities and not values or convictions even? Okay, because we believe that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus and follow him, you become a new creation. The scripture tells us that. The old is gone, the new has come. So primarily, we're now children of God. But a part, a, a, along with being children of God, we see over and over in scripture, we are we are learners now. We are worshipers. We are to be a family. We're not saved in isolation. We are saved into the family of Christians. And then we're already, we've already been sent as missionaries if you're a follower of Jesus. So all four of these things are true of you if you are a Christian. So it's, we thought it would be a good idea to call these identities. This is, how we, <laughs> this is what we are as followers of Jesus. Now, let's go back and talk about how we get these. So Genesis 1, 26 First passage we're going to look at. We're going to jump around a lot today. If you want to keep up in your own Bible, that's great. But all the verses will be on the screen. So Genesis 1.26 says this. This is right before God created Adam and Eve. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So let's stop there, okay? You see, first thing, or one of the things you see, is that this is a, this is a plural here. So this is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, creating man and woman in his image. Okay, so first off here, he, he gives us an image. This is who you are as human beings. As human beings, we were all image bearers of God, period, okay? This is the way it was intended to be. We we're all image bearers, and we have this perfect relationship with him where we just, we've, we reflect and we image him to the world because we are image bearers of him. Well, you go, um, oh, and then you, you continue on. So that's who we are. And then who, what are we to do? He gives us our purpose next. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So first he tells us who we are, and then he gives us a role. He gives us a purpose. He tells us what to do. Have dominion over these areas. And he'll later tell us to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So before doing comes being. He says, this is who you are. Therefore, this is how you should act, or this is how you should live. And, and it's really important to notice that order. In, in Peter and Paul and the Gospels and the other writers of the, the books of, of the Bible, this is a pattern you see over and over and over. You say, this is who you are in Christ, now live like it. Or in light of who you are in Jesus, now live like it. Okay, And that's the order that it shall always be. Now let's go a few chapters forward. Genesis 3. So God has told Adam and Eve, hey, you can eat from any tree in this garden, but don't eat from this one. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat from it, you will die. This is God's command to them. Okay? And then Satan comes along and tempts them with this. Okay? And in, in this temptation, the serpent says to, to Eve, 
you will surely not die if you eat of it. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the first thing that, there's two things really here to notice. The first thing, it's pretty obvious that, that he is tempting Eve and Adam really to be God, to be God-like. So you can be God if you eat of this tree. And that's the problem with all human beings, I think. We want to be our own gods. If, if it was up to us, we would be the center of the earth. We would be the center and everything else kind of orbits around us. It's about me and my life. We all struggle with this as human beings. And so obviously the serpent, Satan, strikes there and, and tempts Adam and Eve in that spot. But the other thing to notice here is he says, if you act like this, you will become this. Notice he inverts the order. If you eat of this tree, if you do this, then you will become this, which is flipped from how God said it. God said, you are my image bearers, period. And because you're image bearers, here's your purpose. Here's what I want you to do. Have dominion, be fruitful and multiply and those things. So it's really, really important to notice that order there, okay? That we are, we are human beings and not human doings. And I think there, there's, there's interesting that we are, we are human beings. This is how, who God told us to be and told us that we are as humans. Now, because of the fall, because of Adam and Eve's sin, this messes everything up. Our image is marred. It's broken. The world's broken. It's messed up. We lose relationship with God. Things go south. But then you have Jesus come on the scene, and he restores our image. He redeems us through, his, through, through God's grace and his mercy. Put our faith and trust in him. He redeems us. He lived a life that we could not have lived, died a death we deserve to die, and on the third day rose from the dead, conquering sin, Satan, and death. And he lives in us through his spirit now. Okay, this is the good news. This is the gospel. This is the way humans are redeemed, brought back into relationship with God. And the part of the, from now on, if you're a Christian, it's about this image being restored. You growing in Christ-likeness, and that will be complete either the day that we die or that Christ returns, that process will be complete and we will be restored. Our, our, our image will be fully restored the way it was intended to be in the beginning. This is how we get our image, okay? We're image bearers. This is how we get our identity, okay? Nothing that we did, only by God's grace and his mercy, he says, this is who you are. And as Christians, we need to hear this. We need to listen to this. This is who you are now in Jesus based off of God's grace and his mercy. Now, one application here that, that I think we need to be aware of in Genesis 1.26, in light of decisions that were made that Jay alluded to <coughs> by our leadership, that this, if this verse is true, that we are all image bearers, we are all created in the image of God, every human being, that means, if we're having a biblical worldview, that every human being deserves dignity and respect and love and should be treated as so. We tend as humans oftentimes to treat people based off of what they've done or what they do. Again, that's not the way God works. God said, this is who you are. That's the most important thing. And then what you do comes out of that. Okay, so this idea of being the image bearers of God should govern how we treat other people. This means people of different races and different cultures are all treated equally. Okay, this means that, that the, the born and the unborn are all treated with dignity and respect and love. Okay? This, is the, this is the Bible. This is, we are to treat one another as image bearers of God. So that, that idea, this passage should govern a lot of how we treat one another and how we see other 
human beings. So I just want, in, in light of current events, I think we need to be shaped by this passage often more than we think, okay? So now, let's get back to those two identities, learners and worshipers, okay? And I would make the case that we are all learners and worshipers. All of us are. We, we are living that out right now in the culture that we're in. So whatever culture you find yourselves in, it's going to call you into learning or call you into apprenticeship in whatever the culture seems valuable and, what, and how the culture defines itself. Same with worship. Okay, we're going to be called in and our desires and our wants and our motivations are going to be shaped by the culture we're in. We can't help it. That's the pressure that the culture puts on us. For example, in our culture, external appearances seem to be very important. What we look like, what we wear, what we drive, what our house looks like. What do, we need, what do we need to have to make ourselves look good on the outside? Because being, whatever it looks like on the outside, that's, that's kind of the goal, I think, a lot of times in our culture and really um, the West, Europe as well. There are other pockets of the world as, as well. But you move, go to other uh, places um, on earth, you'll see that this is different. They don't struggle as much with the external appearances. Their culture is talking about something else. They're apprenticing people in, in, in another way. But in our culture, we need to be aware that we're all learners. We're all worshipers. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not Christian. This is, this is who you are, and this is the pressure that the culture, I think, puts on us. Now, biblically, there's a relationship between learner and worshiper. And just for the sake of, how, we're pulling those apart to explain those today, but they're really tied together, and you can't separate them. And this is really what Deuteronomy is teaching in, in part of it. So Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, listen to this passage. This is Arguably one of the most important passages in all of Scripture, and especially to the Orthodox Jew, this was probably the most important passage. So listen to this, this, this uh, kind of back and forth that God is telling his people, is really instructing them as they are learners and worshipers. And he's going to start off with worshiper. It says, Hear, O Israel, the, God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Okay, let's pause there. So he's saying here, these are, this is a statement of worship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. If you love something with all of your heart, soul, and might, you are worshiping that thing. This is a statement of worship, okay? So God's saying, worship me. That's the commandment. Worship me with everything. Don't worship other things. Worship me with everything. Now, the kind of, it begs the question, well, how, how does that look? How do we do that? How do we become worshipers of the one true God? Verse 6, he says, And these words that I commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them. This is, his, this is his, uh, his instruction to them. This is the Old Testament law. For us, it's the Bible. Verse 7, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk, walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates." So in a sense, he's saying, okay, this is how you worship. This is how you are formed into a worshiper of me. It's, it's to be learners. It's to take my word, take my revelation to humanity, and to teach it to your family. And that, that can also be the church, I think. The application there is also the church. So you need to open it and study it and teach it. But also, you don't just need to do that. You need to talk about it as you go. As you eat dinner together, as you ride in the car together, as you are playing together, as you do life together. It should be like signs on your, like, like almost glasses that you're seeing through as you observe the world. When you walk out your front door, it should be there. When you, 
walk in your front door, it should be there. Like our life should be formed by God's word and his revelation of who he is. Only then can we love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this is how the learner piece, understanding, knowing, following him and who he is, affects worship. Okay, they're connected. Like I said, for today, we're going to pull those apart and look at them individually because I do think there are different aspects to each one of them. Now, as we talk through both of these, I want to talk to them in the context of really the two environments we have here at Providence Road. We, it's pretty simplistic. We say, okay, we, Sunday gathering, we want you to be a part of a Sunday gathering, what we're doing this morning, and we also want you to be involved in a missional community. If you become a part of Providence Road and ask, how do we get involved? Those are the two things we're going to say. Come on Sundays which you probably get if you're already coming on Sunday, and then getting in a missional community. So those are the two environments we're going to look at when we talk about these two identities. So let's look at Learner first. Let's look at Mark 1, 16 and 18. 16 through 18, I should say. This is Jesus calling his disciples. Okay, and listen, to, listen to how they're called. This is, this is, I think, the best definition of what it looks like to be a learner in the New Testament. It says, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Okay, so this is a call into apprenticeship. This is a call into being a learner and a follower of Jesus. Okay, these guys were fishermen. They had their life. They had their kind of identity as fishermen. This is what they did. This is how they made their money. This is how they spent their time. Jesus calls them, they drop everything, and they follow him. Okay, so they're, they're taking on this new identity, and Jesus even tells them what their new identity is going to be. And I will make you become, it's an identity statement, make you become fishers of men. Okay, kind of gets into that missionary piece that we'll look at next week. But bottom line here is this is the call of apprenticeship. This is the call of apprenticeship as we see it in the scriptures. And if you're a follower of Jesus, he has called you into the same thing and when you put your faith and trust in him, you say, yes, I'm going to follow you. So this is us here. Now, how does this play out in Providence Road on Sunday morning, okay? Everything we do in this hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes, it should be centered around God's word. We really try our hardest to make God's word the center of everything we do. So whether we're praying, whether we're singing songs, whether we're opening the scriptures and preaching, or we're doing communion, it's all centered around the scripture because we as humans, we have no authority. The, the word is what gives us the authority. So we want to make what has the authority primary in this service. And so we try every week as we build this service to do it with God's word being central because we want to become learners and followers of him. And we do that through his revealed word. Okay? And, and through over time, through as days go by and weeks and months and, and years, our minds begin getting shaped by the word, and a lot of that's as a result of what happens on Sunday morning. Okay, we shape, we get shaped on Sunday morning. So the Bible is central, and we are very intentional why we do what we do on Sunday morning. Okay, missional communities, same thing. The Bible is central. Bible is central. And I'll just say, if you're a guest, missional communities are a smaller groups of people who act as a family and live on mission in everyday life. Okay, so if you're wondering, what's that word, missional communities, if you're a guest, I just want to pause and say, missional communities are a small, not a small group, but a smaller group of people who have purposes of living as a family and being on mission together. Okay, so in that context, what does it look like to be a learner? Well, the Bible is central, and that means consistently we're going to open the Bibles together and study it. 
We're open the Bibles together and study it. But it may mean some weeks you're sitting around the dinner table. Maybe the Bibles aren't open, but because the Bible is central, you're always talking about how the Bible is relevant to your life. So it may mean, hey, tell, tell me, tell me uh, what God taught you this week in his word. Or tell me, as you've been listening to the Spirit this week, what is the Spirit communicating to you as you've read the Word and as you've been praying? Okay, these are ways that, that we can ask each other questions and be formed and, be, and have our hearts and our minds um, wrapped around and formed by the Scriptures as we live missional community. Okay? It may mean talking about how the Scriptures um, affect our view on politics or on a, a movie or on a sporting event, okay? So we're, we, want, we want, again, our, our lives, everything we do and see in our lives to be shaped by the word. But it can also mean us going, getting together and going and serving or going on mission or going on a prayer walk or something because we, all, we only want to hear the words and believe the words. We want to be doers of the word as well, together. And so some of, some of missional communities is being learners by actually doing the things Jesus asks us to do. So there's this, there's this mind heart, and hands element to the Bible, okay? We want to be knowers of the word, believers of the word, and doers of the word. All three of those can and should happen in missional communities. And we also encourage one another, keep each other accountable to spend time in the word in your own personal life. The other aspect of missional communities that I did mention earlier is fight clubs. These fight clubs are same gender, you know, two to five people and we really reserve that for members only because this is the place where these are people that you bear it all to. I mean, you're vulnerable. These are people who, who know you well, who hold you accountable, who, who fight for freedom and joy with you. These are people that like, are in the trench with you. And we reserve it for members only because we want you to be committed to the overall church before you can truly commit to being that vulnerable and that trusting of other people, okay? And that's in the context of missional community, though. So, and, and this also plays out in that environment because we consistently ask each other, how are you doing in the Word? What are you learning? Are you reading the Word? If not, how can I help you and encourage you to do that, okay? So, back to this idea of learners still, but how our culture forms us into learners, okay? <laughs> we're, we're taking information in all of the time through our senses, okay? Mostly through our eyes and our ears, but... Even through our, our smell, if we, if, through our noses, if we go into a restaurant, the scent of smell, we, we, we are, we're formed and we think about food when we, smell, when we smell food. But primarily it's through our ears and our eyes. And this is television. This is online. This is radio ads. This is marketing. This is billboards. This is, we're getting inundated with content. And we often don't even realize that we're getting inundated, that we're in this culture, often because like we're swimming in this water and we're like fish in this water, and sometimes we don't realize we're in this water because it's just become second nature to us. But we need to become aware of how the culture is teaching us, and, and it's really calling us into apprenticeship. Things like uh, we're being invited, invited to be apprenticed by culture that tells us what we should look like, how we should dress, the kind of stuff you can buy to keep up with the in crowd. We're being apprenticed by a culture that tells us that we have complete control over our lives, which, by the way, is a myth. We don't have complete control over our lives. It tells us to, to do what feels good right now, no matter what the consequences. Just do good. And most of the commercials out there, for that little 30 seconds, it has something usually to do with this product's going to make you feel really good right now, and you should go buy it. Okay? So even, those, even the things we see like that are, are, um, are, are uh, apprenticing us and teaching us, and we're learning from them. Or it may tell us to do certain things to stand out. We should be different. I'm my own man. I'm my own person. Um, again, 
It's part of what our culture values. Therefore, that's the message our culture is going to give, depending on the culture. But this is the culture we live in. So we just, a lot of this is we need to be, there's nothing wrong with watching TV. There's nothing wrong with seeing these commercials. But we need to be aware of, like, what's going on here? Like, what effect does this have on my mind when I'm taking these things in, okay? So that is learner. Let's move on to worshiper. Let's look at Romans 1, 21 through 25. This is one of the best passages of Scripture to really get at at this idea of what a worshiper is. This is Paul, first chapter of Romans, verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they came futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Okay, so just kind of go back to Deuteronomy and think of that passage you read about the goal of us is to worship the Lord with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Paul here is saying this is where humanity has gone wrong. All of humanity has gone wrong because there are aspects of God that we see. We see his glory in creation. We see these things, and we actually take his glory and his honor, and then exchange it or trade it in for things of lesser value that have been created. And that could be whatever. It could be as individualistic as the person, okay? It could be whatever it is for you, you may be exchanging that for God. This is the problem of humanity. In Romans eleven thirty six, he says this later in the letter. It says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Another, another statement of worship. If, if all things are in him and through him and by him, he deserves worship. He deserves all of our worship. Okay, so the question becomes, what does this look like in our lives? What, is, what does worship look like? Well, the definition, this is just Webster's definition. It's really good. It says, worship is to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. Okay, so it has the words there, honor extravagant love and extreme submission. So if you are worshiping something or someone, you're going to honor them, you're going to love that thing or that person, and you're probably going to be submitting to that person in some way, to whatever that person wants. And so this passage talks a lot about idols. So idol, an idol is something, anything you, you think is more important than God, anything that absorbs your heart, anything that absorbs your imagination more than God. Anything that you seek to give you, only what God can actually give you. Acceptance, worth, friendship, all of those things. You can worship those things and those things can become idols if they are put in the place of God. Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit God, says this about an idol. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts deep down, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value then I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. All those things that he said there, those are things we should say, I get that from God. I get love, primary love from God. I get my primary acceptance from God. I get my primary purpose from God and God alone. But we tend as humans to want to look for those things in in the created rather than the creator, okay? So how does this play out in Providence Road? Okay, go back to the Sunday gathering. So here's how it connects to the word. As the word is preached and prayed, and, we, we, and, and we, um, we take communion based off of what it says in the scripture, and we sing songs that are filled with truth, 
as we're, we're actually allowing the revelation of God in his word to speak. And all worship is, is us responding to what we've seen and heard. It's res- when we're singing, it's responding by, well, when we hear a song, it's responding, it's responding by singing. When we're praying, it's responding by praying. When we're preaching and opening the scriptures, we respond by, by submitting ourselves to the word and listening with ears that, that are trying to learn more about who God is in his revealed word. And when we take communion, it, in that little space where we give you time to think and reflect and pray, it's allowing our hearts and our, and our desires to be formed in that moment. So worship is what happens when we put God's word front and center. We are responding to what God has done, who God is and what he has done in his word. And singing is just one little part of worship. A lot of us think of, when we think of worship, we just think of worship through music. And that is one part, and it's a great part. And we do that every Sunday, but that's a really, really small part of what it means to be a worshiper. And that's why I think Romans 1 is so important, because it broadens the definition of what worship is. Um, it's, uh, if we get in the moment as we're worshiping on Sunday mornings, and I'm here with you, like oftentimes, like we don't feel our desires being shaped in the moment, okay? Oftentimes, it's as we look back, as we reflect back over three months, six months, a year, we begin to see how our desires and how our wants and how our cravings have been shaped more towards the scripture over time, okay? It's kind of like if you're watching a, uh, watching a commercial, and they, they show a food, it's a food commercial, and it's a food that you've tasted before, and you know it's really, really good. So you see that, your mind doesn't go, wow, that's, that seems like it tastes good. I remember that tasting good back when this time, and therefore I'm going to be hungry, and therefore I'm going to want that food. No, 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 no. I mean, the commercial only has 30 seconds. Like, it shows the picture, shows somebody eating it, and then you start, like, salivating, like Pavlov's dog. Like, you just start, you just start feeling these, this hunger inside of you, and it kind of comes from nowhere. Why does it come from nowhere? Because you've tasted that burger or that pizza or that Mexican food. What is it? You've tasted that. You know the taste. You know it's good. And therefore, you just, these, fee- these really powerful feelings of hunger kind of overtake you when you see that. It's the same thing with our, our, our worship of God. Over time, with consistency, we begin to, to taste and see that the Lord is good. Therefore, when we come in here, our hearts can more start automatically giving worship to him. So when we're living our lives, we don't have to always think about things. It's almost automatic in what we desire and what we crave. The things of God we start to crave and want. The things that are not of God, we, we, we don't crave and we don't want those things. But our hearts have to be trained. And that's what part of Sunday gathering is week after week we do that. Our, our hearts and our desires have to be calibrated back to him on a weekly basis for us to be able to desire the right things during the week. Now in MCs, how does this play out in, in, in missional communities? So we remind ourselves in missional communities as a family where the true source of freedom and joy is. Like when we talk and we can tell that somebody's really anxious or somebody's um, really depressed, we can, we can come alongside of them and say, hey, well, tell me more about why you're feeling this way. What's going on with you to cause you to feel this way? And as they start to process with other people, then it allows us as a community to point them back to Jesus, point them back to the ultimate source of freedom and joy, and hopefully give them, give them the gospel, which is the answer to anxiety. Maybe it's, I just, I just feel out of control and my life is controlled. So maybe some control issues are leading to anxiety. Well, talking about the sovereignty of God and, and, and you're saved by a loving father who holds the world in the palm of his hand, who's, who's over everything. And you, give, you, you, you preach and proclaim the truth 
so that person can maybe feel a little bit less anxious this week, okay? This is what we do as a missional community to, to, to change our hearts and our desires. This could look like a, a text on Monday reminding someone of the truth, um, a conversation at missional community on Tuesday night, a phone call on Thursday, you invite a couple over for dinner on Friday night, and you watch a, a ball game with uh, someone on Saturday, okay? This is, this is what it looks like to live as a community, as a family, 24-7. You're always in people's lives. You're doing different things together, but the central thing is this idea of, of worship and wanting our desires and our wants and who we are to line up with who Jesus says. The questions in Fight Club that we encourage people to ask, it's like, what is preventing you from having freedom and joy in Jesus? Like right now, what is preventing you from having the fullness of freedom and joy that the scriptures promise us in Jesus? Or another question is, what have you loved or wanted more this week than Jesus? These questions are, they're, they're getting at a deeper level than just say, what did you learn about God this week? That's kind of a, a learner type thing. A worship question is, what did you love this week more than God? What did you love this week more than Jesus? So that's how we begin to help each other uh, be formed more into worshipers. Now, what does our culture say about worship? Okay, this is, this is we're, we're, we're getting... We're getting shaped and formed in our idea of worship as well by the culture. Okay, one, one guy talks about the temples of our culture, and one of the ones he mentions is, is the mall. You just think about the mall. Okay, the mall, you, they all kind of look alike in, in some shape or form, so you feel really comfortable and, and, and at home when you go into a mall. They, there's, there's usually, re- it's really bright, it's kind of happy when you walk into a mall, um, it's, it's, it's engaging all of your senses. You usually smell something from the food court. Um, your eyes are engaged, usually pleasant music, and you walk in. And there's no windows like that look out horizontally. You only see the windows that are vertically, which lets in this like, natural light that makes everything seem brighter. But you don't really see the, the thousands of cars in the parking lots because the mall doesn't want you to see that when you're inside. And then you, you notice there's no clocks in the mall. Like, they don't want you to, they want time to just kind of pass, and you're like, wow, I spent four hours in here. You ever done that at the mall? So they, they, they want you to shop. They want you to be there. You see the directories in the mall. Like, it's, it's like, their, it's like their, um, their pamphlet that they hand out coming into a worship service. Here's our directory and how you can get your wants and desires met in different ways and different forms. Okay? They don't, um, the mall doesn't hand out doctrine when you walk into it. They, like, they're not trying to get you through your head. They're not trying to argue with you. They're trying to get your, you to desire things, to want things. The people, pictures of people in the mall, they're usually beautiful, as our culture would define beauty. You have mannequins that look like, kind of like you fig- figuratively, but they have the clothes you want on, so you kind of want those things too. So again, the mall is, is, is uh, forming our desires. Now, there's nothing wrong with going to the mall and shopping. What's important for us is to know what's happening to our desires and our wants as we shop at the mall nothing wrong with shopping. Uh, this can be also said, be said about theaters, okay? Go to a movie. You get popcorn. You smell popcorn. You get the experience. You see movies that, you see these trailers that come before this movie. Why? Because they want you to come back and see another movie after the movie you just saw, okay? So the theater is another temple of worship in our culture. Stadiums can be the same thing, sporting events, okay? So these are, it's interesting if you just think how these things are set up, to change our desires and our wants and cause us to worship these things, okay? And so the same thing is with God. We need to think of what, how is my life set up and how is the church set up to kind of combat those things the culture is trying to get us to want and love. And it's important for us to be aware of 
those things, okay? So I want to end with this. I want to help us um, and just kind of cast some vision, and, and really these are maybe more prayer of how I hope um, kind of this changes us moving forward, okay? So um, first off, in Learner and Worshipper, that we need to be aware of what we're doing on a Sunday morning, okay? Like aware of that we're setting this whole thing up so our minds and our hearts can be formed more into the image of God. And so before you come in here, prepare your heart. Prepare your heart. Don't, don't be a passive observant here. So when, you, when we play music, sing. When we ask you to pray, pray. When, when we open the word and start teaching, like, like pay attention, like be engaged, be, be attentive to what the revelation of God himself says. When we do communion and give you that little space before you take communion, really pray and reflect in, in what God's doing in your life, okay? <clears throat> so these are the things that we just don't come in here passively every week because we've tried to set this environment up where your heart and your mind will be formed week after week over a long period of time. Next, get into a missional community. It's pretty straightforward. You've heard how these things play out in a missional community. Um, we can't be formed in these things without being in relationship with others. And especially in the church, the beauty about the church is there's all different ages, all different sorts of baggage, all different sorts of perspectives on life, and that's the beauty it's a beautiful mess of the local church. So I encourage you to, to if, if you don't know people that are outside of your demographic, I encourage you to, to plug in in places where you can see other people and other brothers and sisters who are in the church. Okay, uh, and, uh, the next thing, be aware of how culture is forming you in these areas. I think I've, I've hopefully given you these examples just to, it's really helped me as I've started thinking, as I watch TV and start thinking, okay, what, is, what, is, what effect does this have on my mind and on my heart? And does that dead my affections for God? Does it increase my affections for God? Is it kind of neutral? And so it just allowed me to be able to sort through the things that the culture is trying to teach me and shape me in. Uh, parents, if you're a parent, you're with your kids a lot. This whole Deuteronomy 6 passage, that should be one of your top passages you should know and try to apply. Okay, you have your kids. How are you forming their minds? How are you forming their hearts? How are you forming what they love to do? Okay, and just be, be more intentional about realizing, at least for a while, you are the primary um, shapers and formers of your kids. Because, again, as they get older, the more they're going to be around different elements of the culture that could push against um, a biblical worldview. Last one, um, we have a new website uh, as of two weeks ago, and we were pleased with it. We like it, and we're going to try to do better on resourcing you in all of these identities moving forward, as, just as, even as individuals, Bible reading plans, prayer templates, books that we recommend. We already have physical uh, shelf back there with books on it, but we want to do more of that through the website. And so that's one way that we're just going to kind of keep giving you these tools to be able to, to live out these identities and really be formed around these identities. Um, we're going to move into communion in a second, but let's pray before we do that. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I thank you that when you call us to be disciples, you didn't leave us alone. You gave us things like these identities that we can look at and, and, and know how you want us to live in light of who you are and what you've done. We thank you for your revealed word that we can come in here week after week and go into missional community that, and realize that this isn't dependent upon um, um, a mere human being. This isn't human wisdom. This isn't... Um, pastors coming up with creative ideas to help us live better lives. This is, this is your revealed wor word, and it's sufficient, and it's inspired, 
and um, it's you communicating with us, and we thank you for that. And, and I pray that we would be a people that realize we've been given these identities, and so we begin to be more aware of, of, of are we being shaped into learners? Are we being shaped into worshipers? And what are those, some of those things that come against that? Father, we love you, and I pray that, again, we continue um, worshiping you as we sing a little bit more and enter into a time of communion. I pray you would, your spirit would uh, meet us here, and you would change even our hearts and our minds in this moment. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So Jesus, the night before he would go to be crucified, had spent all this time with the disciples, apprenticing them, reshaping their worldview, reshaping their hearts to to, to be prepared to worship him. And I'm sure the disciples were, were scared because they knew something big was about to happen the first time they did this. But as they continued to do it after Jesus had been um, resurrected and, and gone back to the Father, I'm sure this, this gave them um, excitement and the ability to, to, to remember and spiritually kind of reconnect with Jesus and to really um, this heightened sense of his presence um, when they took communion. So I pray that's what this is for us. We can remember what he's done. We can remember who he is and what he did to give us these identities, to cause us to be new creations. So that's what we're going to do right now as we, as we kind of enter into a time of communion. He took this bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he was trying to give them a picture, an image of what um, would happen to him and what would be done to him. And how this bread represents the body. So we, as we remember him, we can be formed and remember these things through our senses, like tasting of bread. Then he took this cup. He said, this cup represents my blood. The blood that would be shed to cover your past, present, and future sins. Um, if you're a, indeed a follower of him. So here's what I want you to do. If you're a follower of Jesus in this room, I just want you to remember who Jesus, who Jesus is and what he did for you on your behalf. Remember that he lived a life that you could not have lived and died a death that you deserve to die. And he rose again on the third day, conquering sin, Satan, and death. And he lives in you. And he's connecting us in this crazy, spiritual, unified way, the same spirits in all of us if we're followers of Jesus. And we're doing this as a body now. So I want you to reflect and remember um, and really picture what the Father's look on his face is when he looks at you. If you're struggling with your view of God, he's, he's smiling over you if you're his child. He delights in you. The prophet Zephaniah says he sings over you if you are his child. So if there's shame or guilt or fear or anything that's kind of getting in the way of your view of the Father, I pray that you would take some time to really think through, in light of Jesus, what is God the Father's, what is his look, what is his posture towards you? Maybe you're here and you've, you've never made a decision. You've never professed faith, but something that was said today in his word, maybe God's doing something inside of you and you want to make that decision and profess faith today, this is the time you can come forward and take communion, maybe for the first time. But if you do that, I, I would ask that you tell somebody, tell the friend that you came with or tell me that God's doing something. Let's talk about that. But if that's you, you can come take communion as well. But if you're here and you're, you're not a Christian and you're still trying to figure this thing out, we are so glad that you're here. We want this to be a place where you can wrestle and doubt and figure things out and talk to people. So I encourage, if that's you, come talk to me or one of the other pastors and, 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 and let's process some of these things. But if that's you and you're not ready to, 
to, to make any big professions of faith or you don't believe and trust this stuff quite yet, I ask that you would stay where you're seated. This is for the family only. This is for Christians only. So take a few minutes. We have two stations in the front, one in the back. And um, whenever you're ready, come forward or head to the back.